the Shaq Master! Right. The Shaq Master! <laughs> I told you. Oh, God. You just gotta keep living, man. L I V I it's showtime. PG3 Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are a wrestling fan, you have probably heard of our next guest on the hotline right now. He is a huge part of the MLW Radio Network and the co-host of What Happened When podcast with Tony Schiavone and the Something to Wrestle With podcast with Bruce Pritchard. Please welcome to the show and the podcast, award-winning Conrad Thompson. Conrad, thanks for being a part of the show here. Man, thanks for having me. That's uh, quite the intro. I hope I can live up to the hype. Oh, gosh, man. Uh, just to introduce ourselves, this is Richard here, and I'm here with my co-host and best friend, Josh Briley. How's it going, man? What we did is we did a little bit of homework on some of the interviews. We started writing down questions when you agreed to do this, and we started doing some YouTube searches and realized we had some of the same questions that you have answered over and over and over again. It was kind of like we didn't want to be the guy that asked the guy with the cast how he broke his arm. So if it's all right with you, we're going to ask you a few different questions. Hopefully it's some that you've never heard before. Sure. Did you ever think about getting into the wrestling business? Well, not really. I mean, I guess, you know, if you consider the podcast angle, the wrestling business, then right. that's as far as it got. You know, I never considered taking bumps or learning how to be a wrestler or becoming a color commentator or trying to run shows. That was never anything that I had aspirations to do. Right. Well, the reason why that question came up, we were talking the other day, and we were like, man, this, this guy's a decent-sized guy. You know, I was uh, I was in the business for about 10 years, and I was like, man, this guy looks like he could have probably gotten in there and did it. I wonder if he ever just wanted to or if it was just something that was just never in the cars, didn't want to do it. Yeah, I mean, it's a fun idea, but at the end of the day, I realized that, you know, the there's no real upside like there's, I don't, I don't envy the lifestyle that a WWE superstar has, oh, and I gosh, know it man. seems like it's super fun. But I was close enough early enough to realize this is not as glamorous as it may seem. You know, these guys are living in hotels and not in suitcases and a different plane every night, and they're never home. And it's a real sacrifice and causes lots of different. Um, concessions that you have to make in your real life and it's not something that I mean and I love professional wrestling but I don't know that I love it enough to really just commit my whole life to it and, and I knew yeah. that's what it would take so I decided you know let's go find something that uh, lets me stay home and not ache every night so mortgages right. it is right well you know I was uh, like I said you know I was just a weekend warrior and even doing you know two three shows a weekend for ten years uh, I missed events. Uh, I've had three surgeries. Uh, I walk around like an old man. So you definitely made the right choice there. Uh, you didn't miss anything. The payoffs are horrible, but it's kind of like golf. Uh, you, you lose a lot of money, and you have a lot of fun, but you're usually in worse shape than you would be if you were playing golf. Yeah, you know, and I know a lot of people who do business on the golf course. I don't know of any business I could get in the real estate community uh, call them hot spots. Right. 
So what was one of your favorite angles that you ever saw? Like, me and Josh were talking the other night, and one of my favorite angles growing up was Jake Roberts and Randy Savage with a snake bit him. Uh, for me, as a kid, that was something that just scared me to death was snakes, being from the South. Um, and that was one of those angles, even after the Elizabeth punch, the ruined wedding, I thought that was one of those high-stick measurement angles that I saw growing up. What was one of your favorite angles? Well, I love the double referee deal, you know, from Saturday Night Fatal. I still think that's probably one of the best stories right. in the history of wrestling. And, of course, I love the NWO, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and the way that that all kind of came unraveled. And I love the fake thing that got us started in the fall of 96, um, the spot at Living Dangerously in 98 where Bigelow and Taz went through the oh, ring. Yes. Yeah, oh, you know, yeah. there's lots of crazy holy cow moments of my wrestling fandom like that. Yeah, now, like, you mentioned the fake sting. Was you an NWA WCW watcher when they did it the first time with Barry Windham? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was watching, I think that was uh, Halloween Havoc 1990. I, I love exactly. that show. I think it's a very underrated pay-per-view. But when they did it with the NWO, it was that fall of 97 is so intriguing to me. You've got ECW fresh on pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. You've got, uh, or I'm sorry, the, the fall of 96. You've got ECW about to get ready for a pay-per-view. Right. You know, there's lots of internet buzz about them. The WWF is in a big transition where they're trying to sort of ease into the Attitude Era and out of the more cartoonish stuff. They've got Mankind. They've got Stone Cold. They've got The Rock. You know, so all that stuff is starting to kind of come together. But it felt like WCW at the time, man, they had the high hand. Everything they were doing was turning to gold. And, and I think right. that angle with the fake thing and, and the war games and all that, some of it might not have made a lot of logical sense. But as a kid, to me, this was awesome. Now, I know you used to do a lot of tape trading. I don't know if you got the Memphis TV down where you lived. And I, did you watch Memphis wrestling growing up? Uh, and there's a reason why I asked that. So I'm going to ask that first. Did you watch Memphis wrestling growing up at all? Uh, no, I did not. And that's not what I named first family mortgage after. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, the reason why we were going to ask that, the follow-up was, was there a referee that counted slower than Frank Morrell? You know, that's hard for me to say. Uh, I'm going to say Nick Patrick in 97 and probably rivaled him. <laughs> you know what? I'll go back and look at some of those WWE shows from back in 96 and 95, and it's like they've slowed their count down. Uh, if you listen to some of those WWE shows from 95, 96, it's like one, two, and they kick out. It, it's a really fast count if you go back and listen to it, but they've definitely slowed it down over the years. Yeah, I think a lot of wrestling, you know, as far as the timing goes, is a lot different. You know, there's a famous Terry Funk story where he says, you know, slow down as far as you can, and when you think you're going too slow, slow down some more. (laughs) Right. And, you know, that was sort of the way the old school was, and now, you know, a guy like Ricochet goes out there and it's just a blur. And, you know, he's just a beehive of activity, and I'm not knocking that. I'm not going to do a Jim Cornette right here. I'm just saying (laughs) styles are different now. And I do think that a lot of the things that the referees did then and do now, those little nuances, are maybe forgotten about, but they really added to the enjoyment. 
you said Jim Cornette there, and uh, me and Josh kind of grew up in that mentality too, a little bit. So we kind of have an old school mentality. Anyways, we kind of grew up around that Southern Memphis, slow it down, grab a headlock type wrestling. So not knocking Ricochet, but it's it's Josh maybe not really my cup of tea. I wouldn't say that. I mean, I I, I appreciate a good story. Right. You know what I mean? Of all the people that you've had a chance to meet in the business, who would you say that you were the most nervous about meeting? You know, the big stars for sure. You know, guys like The Rock or Stone Cold or Hulk Hogan or Ric Flair. I mean, those are all real bucket list guys to meet. But without question, uh, just stumbling across the opportunity to meet Vince McMahon, I mean, it's uh, the coolest deal ever. Oh, yeah. Dear God. Yeah. I'd had sweaty palms and everything the whole nine. I, he's a different kind of guy, I would imagine. He's the Walt Disney of our hobby. And right. to meet that guy in person and know that so much of what I, you know, correlate my childhood with and the things that I enjoyed as a little kid and as a teenager, most of it came from this guy. You know, that was it's kind of cool just forget about wrestling for a minute and to just think about the creativity and the vision that that guy has exactly. it's something else man it's even if you're not a wrestling fan you have to be impressed with that level of creativity and right. vision right. because so few humans have created that and i know there's lots of people online who like to say oh he failed at this business and that business Nobody ever said he was perfect, but I'm just saying how many people have created as much that touched as many as Vince McMahon has. Right. I, I don't think there's any. No. And there ever will be, just in my opinion. And you have that guy that comes out and does the one thing that's good at the one thing, and very rarely do they even have the guts to venture out into something else. Well, and, and that's worth mentioning, you know, like, George Lucas, I'm not a big Star Wars guy, but George Lucas is a guy who has been somewhat controversial, but at the same time, for so long, was so beloved, because everything he did was gold, but you really, you know, let's get in our Wayback Machine, let's go to like 1998. <laughs> right. At that point, those movies had been around for more than 20 years, and this guy was like, godlike, and he hadn't done anything right. in 20 years, and Vince McMahon is cranking out minimum six hours of content a week no less you know sometimes double that but minimum six hours a week and you know the star wars trilogy was six hours i mean right. it's, it's just a totally different deal and it gives me uh, when you really put it in perspective like that a newfound respect for a guy who has not only created that much but done it at such a grind right you know just week in week out not just week after week or month after month or year after year, but decade after decade. It's impressive. Right, with no breaks, no off-season. No, no no breaks. I mean, nobody has a, a great Vince McMahon vacation story. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I don't know. 1995 would almost Yeah, qualify. that wouldn't count as a vacation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's interesting is, I bet if you were to interview Vince, he would say that, you know, not, I don't know him, but I would say that he would probably guess that 94 and 95 were two of the most grueling years ever. You, you've, got, you've got to think about a guy who, from his perspective, takes his dad's regional business, which is profitable, 
turns it into a global business, certainly huge nationally, but global, is selling out arenas and stadiums and, and innovating with pay-per-view and merchandise and licensing and is the toast of the town and has primetime specials and right. his creations are all over television. And now, in 94-95, he's running high school gyms. Right. And that's something his dad, you know, was doing when he first took it over. So to go all the way up and then seemingly all the way down, you know, he had to be working his fingers to the bone at, at that time. And, you know, a, a good question here. We were talking about he, he took a regional territory and turned it into national. And I'm not knocking Vince McMahon at all. But my question would be, um, and this is just, like I said, this isn't in, even in our notes. If Vince McMahon is in the Florida territory as opposed to the New York territory, does he make it as big as he does now? Uh, I say yes just because of his work ethic. Uh, what do you say? No, I definitely say yes. I mean, I think what you're probably hinting at is that he was at the media center of the world right. back then. You know, he was still paying for the time. Right. <laughs> so he could have paid for the time from Florida or anywhere right. else. I, I think um, I think the result would have been the exact same. You know, certainly there was a different appetite right. for wrestling in the Northeast than there was in different areas. And because so many of those states and major cities are within close proximity, for instance, a D.C. to a Baltimore to a Philadelphia to a New York City, this isn't uh, the end of the world travel-wise compared to, say, California and Florida. Right. But, you know, that's still all the East Coast, and I I just don't think that Vince would have ever been stopped. I think he would have still made the same deals. And still had the same access, and in fact, it may have even been a little easier to recruit because, frankly, how many people really wanted to live in Connecticut? You right. know, if you were living in, if you were living in California, and you were recruited to Florida, okay. Right. If you're living in Texas and you're recruited to living in Florida, okay. If you're in Charlotte and they're trying to recruit you to live in Florida, okay. Right. <laughs> now let's go, let's look at. The other way, okay, we're going to take you to a place that's winter eight months a year. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess the only point I could make would be like New York has always had that that stigma of being the place to be. Now, outside of Hollywood, California, New York has always been that go-to place. But like I said, I agree with you. If he's in Florida, if he's in Bismarck, North Dakota, he's going to make it work just because of work ethic. Well, it's worth mentioning, too, you know, the world, as far as entertainment goes, a lot of it is still based in Orlando. You know, you've got all the theme parks there. Of course, Disney's there. Um, You know, you've got NASA there. You've got, I mean, there's so much stuff that happens down there. Uh, And and that's obviously, you know, Orlando was a T-tiny little town relative to the other cities when they got an NBA franchise. But there was just something about it. So if he were to set up shop in Orlando, it would be really hard for me to argue that he wouldn't have been just as successful. And imagine the dynamic of Orlando. You know, when all those theme parks were really hitting, you know, would we have gotten a WWE-themed theme park in the 80s? What would that have been like? I, I wouldn't want to ride Space Mountain, that's for sure. Hell no. <laughs> 
Um, well, I think like 10,000 other people did. So. <laughs> so one thing we've noticed, and, and we're not just you know putting you over too much here, but you are a great interviewer with the guys you interviewed, Tony Schiavone, and, well, co-host with, but interview Tony Schiavone and Bruce Pritchard. Uh, and one thing we've noticed that makes you such a good interview is the fact that you don't let them slide. You don't let them off the hook when they're when they want to pass over names. Uh, you really kind of take your time and make them tell you the story. Now that's something I was never comfortable doing, even in the wrestling business with my peers that were older. Like so, like Lawler, Dundee, Brian Christopher. Those guys, <laughs> if they told me something. I, I didn't question it. I didn't ask anything. I just went. Um, is that something that you had to work at, or is that, like, just your personality? No, I didn't have to work at it, but, but it is something that is, that is different. And so what I mean is, if you go back and you listen to my early podcast with Ric Flair, we had guests on all the time, and I didn't feel like it was my place right. to really press those guests the same way I would Bruce or Tony. Um, and the difference being, of course, they're a guest. And so Rick has essentially leveraged a friendship to get them to come on here. Right. I'm not going to jump on with gotcha questions. I, I do want to get to some interesting stories, but I'm going to approach it in a non-confrontational way. Now, with Bruce and Tony, that's different. Bruce and Tony and I are in business together to generate new downloads for this podcast. And I feel like I have my finger on the pulse of what fans want to hear because I'm a fan. Right. So rather than just let them get off the hook with what they want to say, it's not about what they want to say. It's about what the listener wants to hear. And I am the first listener. Yes, I'm involved in the show, but I'm the first listener. So if I was sitting at home and I heard a guy give a BS answer and the guy just let it slide, that's not entertaining to me. Right. I want to know what I want to know. So give me the info. And if I have to needle them and press, then I will. And the guys are okay with that because they understand they're not doing me a favor. I'm right. not inconveniencing them. I'm trying to generate a buzz. I'm trying to stir up some interest. Kind of open their eyes to what the fans want to see. Yes. Hypothetically, Conrad, I'm going to steal from you a little bit. If you could open up a used car dealership and hire three wrestlers to be your main salesman, who would they be? I'm guessing he's getting it talking here. People that could talk them into the building, somebody that could talk them into buying a used 87 Yugo. Exactly. Well, I mean, I'd get Jeff Jarrett, for sure. Um, you know, I don't know. I would definitely get Jeff Jarrett, though. Jarrett has talked himself into so many spots and so many opportunities. i got to think that that one makes sense. What about, what about somebody like Heyman? Yeah, that's a great one. Or Nash Heyman would definitely be number two. Yeah, Kevin Nash. He's he's been real good. I mean, and this could be anybody living or dead. You know, anybody. You know, I don't know who I would put in that third spot, but definitely the first two, without question, are Jeff Jarrett and Paul Heyman. You know, part of me wants to say Dusty. Yeah. But because I feel like Dusty's like the world's most likable guy. Right. And it would be it would be really really hard to tell Dusty no, but right. I'm still gonna go with Jeff Jarrett and Paul Heyman as one and two. I don't know that third spot's tough to fill. Like we said, these are awkward questions. We just want to try to give you something you might not have ever heard. 
Well, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> At some point or another, as wrestling fans, we have all had to defend a goofy gimmick or an angle in wrestling to our friends. Uh, you know, whether they just don't get it or they're just trying to pick on us or whatever. Is there anything that you can remember, uh, an angle or uh, a gimmick that made you say, uh, this one's going to be hard to defend? Well, that's a good question, I guess. I really like Sid, and I feel like I almost need to ask forgiveness as soon as I say that. But <laughs> I've always thought Sid carried himself like a main eventer. He looked like a main eventer, especially when I was a kid. Here's this huge guy. He's jacked up. He's in great shape. He's got interesting uh, facials. He he makes every little thing count. Uh, he's got fun power moves. As a kid, man, I was all about some Sid. I, I really think that that's, you know, and, and I guess as silly as it sounds, the damn people's elbow is really hard to defend, but the rock <laughs> was so awesome. Right, that you found you you found a way to make it work, and and then later, not too long after that, you know, I absolutely love Cactus Jack, and I love the Mankind character, but then he starts doing Mister Socko and pulling a sock puppet out of his right. out of his pants. And those things are are kind of hard to defend, but if you're a wrestling fan, they're pretty cool. Well, you know, you mentioned the People's Elbow when I first started wrestling. It was the early two thousands, and I'm not going to let you pressure me into telling anybody's name because I still have to see these people on a regular basis. But there were big-time wrestlers that were giving Hogan a lot of stuff for the leg drop. Well, I mean, I appreciate that. But at the same time, <laughs> the, you know, if he gets the move over, oh, know, yeah, whatever. Like, yeah, definitely, definitely. But well, I was just saying there's wrestlers out there that that were in 2000, 2001, <laughs> We're definitely crapping on Hogan for the leg drop and using that as the same thing as the people's elbow. Now, I'm on the same page as you. Uh, my, my thing that was hard to defend was things like the gobbledygooker, the shockmaster, and the uh, May Young birth to a rubber hand. Well, um, so here's the deal, though. You just name stuff that nobody likes. So you don't have to defend that. You can crap on it right? and just say, hey, this is awful. We don't like it. Nobody likes it. Right. That excuse doesn't work when the crowd's going nuts for the people's elbow. Exactly. Now, look, let me tell you this. As far as stupid finishes go, and I always piss off all my Texas people, uh, <laughs> the, the claw is stupid. Like, the claw's dumb. Oh, yeah. The claw's dumb. Uh, I would much rather have the claw than, than Hogan's leg drop. Like, I don't want Hogan dropping 303 pounds across my face, but if you want to, you know, put your the palm of your hand on my forehead... Go ahead. I mean, to me, the Baron Von Raschke thing, we all had that AWA, uh, Legion of Doom, Road Warriors, VHS, and the Baron Von Raschke thing made me laugh every time when he's, like, just sitting there trying to grab someone's head, and you're like, you know Animal and Hawk could break his hand. So none of that looks realistic to me. I believed in the Baron, though. I really <laughs> did. What would you say is the most offensive angle that you can remember? Man, that's really hard to say. You know, there's been so many really terrible ones. <laughs> I, I know the the most recent one that I didn't like is when uh, Paige called out Charlotte's brother um, passing away. And his oh, death yeah. a few years ago, I thought that was just like, what in the world? Is, I mean, what, this doesn't belong. And 
that's probably the most recent one that I thought was bad, but right. I'm sure there are lots more that I just can't think of at this well, very moment. What I struggled with with that was what were you gaining from that? Right. I mean, what tickets were being sold with that horrible memory? You know, one thing we talked about the other night when we were talking about this question was there some other ones like the Angle and Kane Snitsky angle where Kane essentially was raping um, Lita and the kid was miscarried by Snitsky attacking Kane and knocking him into her. And it was like, and then in the end, she was like in love with Kane. It's that's really offensive to rape victims. And if you go back, we actually uh, watched a video a couple weeks back with Jim Neidhart dressed up as a Klan's member. Yeah, listen, there's there's lots of bad ideas in all forms of entertainment, you right. know, wrestling included. And and I find it funny sometimes when there's all this ridiculous entertainment, this horribly offensive things that are out there. But for some reason, people think that wrestling should be held to some highbrow standard. When frankly, it's always been somewhat right. You know, I, I'm okay with that. You know, I do like the intricate storylines, and I do think they can do intelligent storylines, and I do think they can avoid fleas. But at the same time, I mean, it's kind of inherently a little ridiculous. So whenever you see some of the old, um, really not in the vein of good taste angles throughout right. the, the the years of wrestling. You could probably find somewhere in pop culture at the time someone else doing something similar because wrestling has has always sort of mirrored that. When things got a little edgier on cable TV in the 90s, so did wrestling. Right. Now that things have kind of become a little more politically correct again, uh, wrestling is too. Right, and, and that's one thing that I've always felt. Comedy and wrestling always get held to a higher standard. It's like, if you want to play a pedophile in a movie, you might win an Academy Award, but you put somebody in that same role in comedy or in wrestling, they get crucified for it, and I don't understand why. Well, I mean, I think comedians get away with a lot. You know, right. you really look at some of the um, over-the-top shows that are on cable TV or subscription TV, like the HBOs or the Showtimes, or right. you see some stand-up specials, like Ralphie May. Uh, you're going to have to work real, real hard to find a comic who works dirtier than Ralphie May. Right. But it crushed. Everybody loved it. But if any of those you know, jokes were told on WWE TV, it would certainly be viewed a lot differently. Oh, yeah, definitely. They'd have sponsors calling and people writing letters just like they did back uh, in the late 2000s when people were writing letters to their sponsors saying, hey, we're going to pull our sponsorship if you don't do X, Y, Z. Uh, that was where the uh, whole right to censor angle came from, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. God forbid, if a fire was to break out at the Conradison, what wrestling item from your collection would you be grabbing on your way out? Well, I've got a Ric Flair robe, so I'd probably grab that. Right. What robe is that? Um, which one do you like? I probably have that one. <laughs> <laughs> Mine that I would say are my uncle's log books. And he, I got the 85, 1985 and 1986 log books where pretty much it tells what town he was in, what hotel he was in with the hotel receipt, what his payoff was and, you know, and so on and so forth. In some instance, he would write down 
what angle it was or this or that but i think if if i had to grab anything it would it would be that for sure yeah those are fun i've actually got a few of bruce pritchard's over here wow i've got um some from 95 96 97 98 uh some of the more interesting times in the company i've got his old ledgers which show what the cards were what the houses were uh, what the meetings were about blah 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 that's that stuff's fun to thumb through you know it's it's amazing for the reputation that the guys that era had as being you know just wrestling party animals just not being with it blah 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 they kept really good records oh yeah it was all for tax purposes though. right but i mean they kept really good records now you don't have to name names but what are some of the better ribs that you've heard you know just from the boys talking stuff like that i heard rick Steiner tell a hilarious story about being on an airplane with mr perfect and mr perfect being seated next to a guy in first class who just would not shut up and the guy's just constantly trying to talk to Kurt. Kurt's trying to go to sleep. And Kurt is trying to shut it down with one word answers. He doesn't want to be rude to the guy. And then eventually Kurt decides the way to get him to shut up is to just rude. So Kurt sticks his finger up his own ass and then <laughs> takes the doo-doo finger and runs it around the ring. When the guy comes back, he uh, picks up the drink and... And he keeps telling a story, and he'll get the, the cup near his mouth, and then he'll pull it away and tell another story, almost like he's in on the gag and he's working the guys as how, as how long this goes on. And then eventually, he takes a big sip, and he hits the button and asks the airline stewardess if he can have another drink. This one tastes like shit. <laughs> That, that only to hear Rick Steiner tell the story of when he does that, Mr. Perfect in the seat next to him with his arms folded, pretending to be asleep, but can't help it and starts his whole body starts gyrating from his laughter. <laughs> Have you ever heard the uh, Phil Hickerson Dennis Condry story with Tojo Yamamoto? Yeah. yeah, one of my favorite ribs ever. Hilarious! I laugh at it every time. Worst theme music you have ever heard. Worst theme music you ever heard? Man, that's a great question. That's a good question. I, I, I never liked The Right to Censor. Oh, God, I yeah. I always thought that was pretty bad. Um, I don't know. You got some other nominees for me? Yeah, uh, Disco Inferno? I liked that one. I'm okay yeah. with it. Uh, we were just sitting here talking about how we actually like the uh, old WCW American Made, American Males, um, the Sting theme, uh, Natural Dusty Road, Dusted Roads. But that's roads. just from a perspective of we disliked it back then, but now when we look back, it's kind of, well, I like yeah, it. it's not bad. The, uh, the Ron Simmons and the... Um, the natural Dustin Rose. Those are two of the worst of all time, for sure. <laughs> well, uh, the Giants theme in WCW, uh, where, whether it be the laughing theme with the Dungeon of Doom or the no music at all, I hated that. I'd rather the wrestler come out to Disco Inferno or something that I don't like than to have no music at all. I actually dug that about the Giant. I thought it made him... Um, a little different. You know, I didn't really like the Steiner line. Uh, oh, God, no. 
Stay that was a very good. Uh, Harlem Heat had a pretty good one. Yes. I mean, you know, there's lots of fun ones for sure. But you know, Jericho mentioned it in his book that all those songs were repeated. There was a lot of times when we used to watch that scrambled channel on our cable. And there was one time we were watching that scrambled channel and we heard Chris Benoit and Booker T's WCW themes on that uh, particular network. Oh, you're talking about on the, the soft core stuff. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, we did hear that. But, well, a lot of those songs are, are what's called public domain. Right. So anybody could snatch those and use them for whatever, which is why in the Observer back in the day, you would see somebody write in and say, the Chicago Blackhawks just used Dean Malenko's music. <laughs> well, it's not really his music. Right. <laughs> what would you say would be your favorite shoot incident? Now, I, I'm not saying, you know, favorite as in, oh, I, I was so joyed that this happened, but... I'd say just one that you more kinda, amazed. Yeah, you seen you were like, oh my god, this is really happening. Mine would be the the whole Jamie Dundee shoot interview. That was just, oh my god, he's really saying that. Oh man, that's hard to say. Um, you got some really good questions here, but <laughs> I'm I'm not sure how to answer it. I do think that uh, they've they've done some stuff that really pushed the line, like when Taz made some sort of crack about J.R. and his Bell's palsy. I thought that was maybe a little far. Oh, wow. That was and pretty I, I I enjoyed the Paul Heyman promo on Vince McMahon where he says, you oh, stole God, my yeah. life. Oh, Stuff God, like yeah. that. That was good. Um, I don't know if you ever saw it. Uh, I'm sure you have. The Doug Gilbert and Tommy Rich. From Power Pro Wrestling. Yeah, I saw uh, that one. Yeah, we watched that live because it was in our area, and we were so shocked at the time as kids like, Oh my God! This is this is really happening. Oh man! So yeah, that was one for us. Um, I guess if you're gonna say anything about the Jr. thing, I guess the whole Oklahoma thing, I guess that would be considered a shoot too, right? Oh yeah, yeah. That was you know some of that stuff is just in such poor taste, right? What do you think the most gruesome injury you've ever seen in wrestling is? And I I feel like I know the answer to this, but we're gonna see what you say. Well, I mean, I don't know how Sid's leg is near the top of the list, right? Right, right. That was where we were going. The only thing we had close to a second was the Hayabusa injury. Yeah, I don't know. I, to me, that one didn't um, didn't matter as much just because, I, you know, I, it wasn't something I regularly watched. And I, right. I can greatly appreciate and respect, you know, his contributions to the business, but... Outside of seeing a half a dozen FMW tapes, I don't really know anything about Hayabusa, but right. Sid, I was watching that pay-per-view live, and you right. knew right away, oh gosh, something right. awful has happened. And he finished the match. That was the craziest part about it. Yeah. Other than the Barbarian, do you do any impersonations, even if it's done poorly? Oh, I do lots of impersonations, but none of them are any good, including the Barbarian. I mean, he doesn't really sound like that. No, no. Uh, you... I've, do I've done Briscoe on uh, Bruce's show. Right. And uh, I've done the Macho Man on Bruce's show. Uh, but I don't really have, like, a go-to wrestling promo at all. Yeah, we were, we were talking about uh, Amble Neidhart <laughs> the other day. I'm going to do mine for you. It's oh, horrible. It's very bad. Just know that I know that. But in every interview, this is my impersonation of, of uh, Jim the Anvil Neidhart. So, all right, so he's going to be facing demolition. Demolition, we're coming for you, baby. 
And that's it. It's bad, I know, but that is my Jim the Anvil Nightheart impersonation. Cool story, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Would you consider ECW, TNA, and AWA's world title holders the same in regards to like the WWF and WCW or even the NWA title holders? Yeah, once upon a time, I definitely think that the AWA belt carried a lot of weight. You know, the AWA belt, once upon a time, was arguably one of, if not the most important belt in the business behind the NWA belt. Uh, And then, of course, as the expansion happened, the WWF started to look more and more like a territory, less and less like a territory, and the AWA started to look more and more like a territory. So I do think once upon a time, before I was really a fan, the AWA belt was a very significant world title. I don't believe that the TNA world title has ever really carried the weight that it probably should. And I feel the same about ECW. Obviously, I was you know, a huge ECW mark and a big fan of what they were doing. But to compare that title belt to the title belt of the other two, I don't know that that really made a lot of sense. Right, and the reason why that came up, we were sitting there, we were going to ask you a question, besides Arn Anderson, what wrestler did you think that never held a world title should have gotten the chance to hold that title? And we were going through the list of competitors, and I think I said Kurt Henning, and Josh brought up the AWA, and I said, well, that was towards the end of the AWA, but he was the heavyweight champion, does it count? Yeah, I would count that for sure. Right. I count. I consider Kurt a world champion because of that one. Um, and as far as the best who didn't, I think it's DiBiase. That's just my opinion. But right. to me, DiBiase was very deserving. And if the WWF wasn't a babyface territory in 1988, I think he was prime for that spot. And um, I, I, I still consider him to be one of the best promos and in-ring performers of all time. So... I would put him on the list, and I think you could make other arguments for Jake the Snake Roberts or um, specifically Scott Hall. There's lots of other guys who just didn't get that opportunity. You know, I know that Owen could have done more, but Owen was never, or not for long, positioned as a guy who could have been the top guy to me. But DiBiase was in that spot. You know, he was the top heel. And it's really hard for me to go back to a time in the WWF, with the exception of a, a month or two here or there, where Owen Hart was the top guy in the territory as a babyface or as a heel. But there were little pockets where Razor was that hot. And yes. there were little pockets when DiBiase was that hot. So to me, number one, far and away, is DiBiase. The only reason why I said Owen Hart, I felt like they missed their opportunity there when Brett left the company and Owen comes out and attacks Sean. I felt like they missed a huge opportunity for Owen there. They could have made that last, but, uh, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Well, but even in that situation, you know, Owen had really been positioned as a heel, and now all of a sudden he's supposed to be a babyface. And you've got to remember, at that time, you've got... The Rock, who's coming into his own. You've got Stone Cold Steve Austin, who is just the biggest star in the business and about to just bust it wide open. Right. You've got Mankind hanging around. The Undertaker's still there. Kane is, is, is fresh to the company and on fire. It feels a little bit like 
a really crowded landscape that at the time I think Owen would have had a hard time punching through. And I love Owen Hart, and I think he's a great promo and and obviously a hell of a human. And his in-ring work was outstanding, but I don't know that I really ever considered him as, as being the world champion. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks again to our guest. You can hear him on the MLW Radio Network on What Happened When with Tony Schiavone on Mondays and Something to Wrestle With podcast with Bruce Pritchard. That's an award-winning podcast. Conrad Thompson, thank you so much for being a part of P3 Radio today. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the invite. Oh, and Josh, what, what do we not want to forget? 1FMC.com. Conrad Thompson can help you out. We appreciate it, buddy. Thanks, man. Appreciate it, Conrad. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I got two months to lose all this weight for my high school reunion. Two months? What are you going to do? I have no idea. Well, I'll tell you what you should do. You should go down to 51 South Creek Drive and see Matt Hoover and all the guys at Maximum Health and Fitness. They're going to whip you into shape and help you reach your maximum potential. I don't have time to work out. I mean, I don't want to get signed up in something and it not be for me. Don't worry about that. You mentioned this podcast, P3 Radio, and they're going to throw you a free trial membership. 51 South Creek Drive? 51 South Creek Drive off the South Highland right next to Los Fortales. I'm telling you, they're going to help you reach your maximum fitness goals and get you into shape for your high school reunion. Well, thanks. I'm going to go see Matt and the guys at Maximum Health and Fitness. Maximum Health and Fitness. 51 South Creek Drive, Jackson, Tennessee. Well, the sound of the music means that's the end of this podcast. We'd like to thank all of you once again for listening to P3 Radio. We'd also like to thank Conrad Thompson just for coming in to have a short chat with us. We really appreciate it. You can hear Conrad on the MLW Radio Network on What Happened When with Tony Schiavone on Mondays or Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard on Fridays. Well, we'd like to thank everyone once again for listening to P3 Radio. For Josh Brawley, I am Richard Mulliken saying thanks and good night.